Broadcasting live from a damaged forehead tattoo, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. Right off the top, we'll also mention this at the end of the show again. We're on TikTok now. If uh, you're interested in checking us out, we're going to have excerpts from the show that'll be animated a little bit more, kind of like how we do sometimes on our YouTube channel including some stuff that we outtake from the show, and that's the only way for you to see stuff that is good, but it doesn't exactly mesh with what the rest of the episode is, so that's a nice little nugget for you to go find over on our TikTok at PCR underscore podcast. Now, on to some news. Starting off with the news that Michael B. Jordan is developing a black Superman project centered around the character of Bal Zod as a limited series for HBO Max. Now, this is separate from the rumors that J.J. Abrams is working on a black Superman film, though you and I were talking before the show, and we both kind of think that if this Michael B. Jordan thing is received well, maybe they're going to be like, J.J., bring in (laughs) Balzad into this thing. And I just remembered Michael B. Jordan's also working on that Static Shock show, yeah? Oh, yeah, that's right. He's all over the the DC stuff right now. That's interesting. I have a theory, though, Seamus, that I haven't shared with you yet. Oh, what what do you got? What do you got? In the comics, there's this story called The Rise of a Superman, where the world has been overrun by parademons, and Superman has been brainwashed into being, like, a villain. And that's kind of where he rises, Valzad. I'm wondering, Seamus, could we be seeing... Valzad pop up in that Snyder cut epilogue dream sequence. Very interesting. If that's the direction they're going in to bring in Valzad into the Mad Max Batman thing they got going on, it it would be an interesting way to go in that direction. I mean, they teased it out, like you said, way more as like a stinger ending in the Snyder cut than they used it as in the theatrical cut of Justice League. So I think that'd be kind of an interesting way to go. I mean, if I'm being realistic about it, I don't think we're going to see anything else from the Snyder Cut stuff. I think that was just its own thing. But when I was thinking about what they could do with Valzad, it did occur to me, like, how similar that is to the Snyder Cut stuff. So I just was like, kind of, hmm. No, that's totally interesting. I I would be into that. Uh, I definitely don't know a ton about Valzad, besides, like, the very minimal research I did before the show, but... Michael B. Jordan, he's a good dude. I wonder if he will actually be Valzad, because he's obviously too old to be Static Shock, but Michael B. Jordan would be a good Superman. Oh, weirdly enough, I had assumed that Michael B. Jordan was starring in this, but I guess he's producing the Static Shock Mm -hmm. series? He's got his fingers in a couple different producing projects, but I think he could 100% pull off a a leading role there he's still incredibly fit for christopher reeve they were gonna do a muscle suit but then he bulked up so much that they didn't that's awesome take that to the studio i don't need no muscle suit speaking of telling off your studio transitions good, good transitions scarlett johansson is suing disney for feeling that she was wronged in the streaming royalties that she is owed for the Black Widow release. We've been talking about this, it feels like, forever in terms of the fact that streaming releases do fundamentally alter the way that actors and other creatives behind films are compensated. It seems that, so far, studios have been pretty unwilling to renegotiate. The really, I think, 
unbelievable thing about this is the way that Disney is responding by calling Johansson's lawsuit a callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is pretty rich coming (laughs) from a company that has been racing to reopen their theme parks and laid off 28,000 employees. Oh, yeah, I definitely, I had a a chuckle when I read that quote. It's so blatantly, they're just trying to throw some dirt on her character for this lawsuit. But, I mean, I think she has every right to feel like she was wronged here, especially because, from what I hear, it was never renegotiated in her contract at all when originally this movie was supposed to be exclusively in theaters, and then they made the decision to do the premium access and not give her a cut like without tweaking any of the the clauses that she would have made money on this for so exactly this is her big finale too is i mean i can only i haven't seen it yet but i can only imagine this is like her her last hurrah she's probably banking on this movie to do incredibly well for her so she could just move on from the the MCU in earnest. Chris Evans got out like four years ago and he's sitting pretty. I I need to get my, <laughs> finally I'll get my solo movie, I'll get my money and I'll leave, but now she's, now she's screwed here. The turnout of this lawsuit will hopefully empower other creatives working within the studio system to have better protections in the future. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, we were talking just before this recording about like, premiere access and all that straight to streaming might be here to stick around for just a little longer than all of these studios are praying for just so they can make their money back but hopefully we don't see too many more of these lawsuits of just people working incredibly hard on projects and getting blindsided by stuff like this but don't worry Seamus there are still nice compliant actors willing to Willing to work for that Disney Plus money. Somehow uncancelled, Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye is premiering on November 24th. You want to talk about finales for characters. I really do think this is going to be a Clint Barton is there, and then Haley Steinfeld learns to be Hawkeye, and then goodbye, Clint Barton. We will never see you again. Yeah, sure. He'll go off to his family. He'll go, he'll go back to Velma and his kids and live in that farmhouse and, like... <laughs> To this day, I don't know that actor's name. I call her Velma. Linda it's, it's, Cardellini, Seamus. That's She's what wonderful. I said, Garrett. Damn. <laughs> He's an excellent actor. <laughs> I do legitimately think she is a very good actor. And anytime I see her in anything, it's like, Velma was killing it in this, this drama I'm watching right now. Guess what, Seamus? What? Arthur got canceled. I don't like canceled. It's like retiring after... 25 long, long years of of entertainment. Well, the reason that we left Cancelled so prominent is because they are not wanting to end. The creators don't want to end the series, but obviously... Well, never mind. The network doesn't think that... They've got enough Arthur to run forever. I mean, they could literally run... Pretty much, 25 yeah. years of reruns, it'd just be fine. This one hits a little harder than Caillou. I know we talked about that a while back, but I Arthur was like my go-to show, for sure. So, think, still to this day, I think, having fun, it's not hard. If you've got a library card, I think about that every time you talk about the library, Garrett. <laughs> Arthur is good enough to watch as an adult, I think. Arthur is genuinely a good show. Whenever I have kids one day, I'll I'll put on an old Arthur. Have you, have you seen any new Arthur? It got weird a little bit. In what way did it get weird? 
they like added in two new main like southern characters and they changed the animation style. Okay. It looks real, real weird. It just looks like a new squeaky clean version of what the Arthur animation was. I just I, for whatever reason it was like fuzzier back in the day, kind of like the old Arthur books. Oh yeah, it's kind like of animated. Around. Sure. Yeah. It's, it, <laughs> It, it was an aesthetic. Uh, it was on fleek, Garrett. But now, as far as I know, a couple years ago, they changed it up to be, like, super clean, like, modern Nickelodeon-style animation stuff. Well, that probably means they got an increased budget, so good for them. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. that. I mean, that meant they were doing well enough, like, five years ago or whenever that happened that they were just, like, still cruising. But my memories fall on, like, the horrifying, like, weird Halloween episode with the umbrella with the eyeball or... Jekyll, Jekyll, Hyde, had... Jekyll, Hyde, Hyde, Jekyll. Oh, hell yeah, straight up. Or just, like, they had insane people on that show that were so funny to see as an adult. Like, yeah, Yo Yo Ma, like, I, whatever, like, who <laughs> cares about this Hoffman. guy? Yeah, exactly. Or, like, they had, like, Buzz Aldrin on that show for an oh, episode. Boy. Like, yeah, they went Does hard. Does Arthur yell at the moon with Buzz Aldrin? <laughs> That's, they had to ask him to do that on that 30 Rock set. That's very funny. <laughs> Was there any greater crossover event to your six-year-old mind than the time that Mr. Rogers was on Arthur. That was a wild one, because it felt like they almost lived in the same universe already in a weird way, but maybe that's just, like, PBS programming sinking into my young mind. (laughs) WTTW11, baby. To viewers like you, thank you. Seamus, is is this some kind of... Suicide Squad episode. Let's get into it, because I know we've got tons of stuff to say. Or do we? Maybe we don't. Both? At the same time. Somehow. Kind of like the characters in this movie. (laughs) Alright, as we alluded to for the entire time here, we're gearing up to talk about Suicide Squad, the extended cut. This is not... What we're covering next week, which is the new James Gunn, The Suicide Squad. This is the 2016 extended cut that is just an absolute mess. My god. That's a fast and the furious caliber naming mistake, (laughs) I think. I think so. I mean, granted, isn't it supposed to be like a reboot and not a sequel? I think that's the idea, yes, is that it's a reboot and not a sequel. So I get, they have a little bit of a leg up, but that is going to be just confusing forever. Maybe that's maybe that's the joke. I don't know if you have opinions on this or not, Seamus. I think we just mark spoilers right now because oh, yeah. anybody who's seen this movie has seen it, and anybody who hasn't seen this movie should not. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I, this is official spoilers. We're going to be jumping all around. Where do you even want to start here? Do you want to talk about extended cut versus theatrical Jared Leto's whole mess going on? I get, Let's get Jared Leto out of the way. The Joker in this movie, which is bad. It was bad in 2016. It is bad now. There's moments of like this frantic chaos energy that is very much Joker in this performance, but it's just surrounded by nonsense. Like making him a gangster kind of guy who's got like chest holsters and a flowy white shirt. It's like driving Lamborghinis, purple Lamborghini famously. When he's intimidating Ike Barinholtz in the kitchen, I'm like, the Joker in most other media iterations would have no patience for doing this. Yeah, right? It's a different interpretation of the character. That's fine. I'm open to that. 
it's just one that I don't think works very well, except this was a theory for a long time, and I think it still holds up. I've not seen every single DC Universe movie, but the theory that the Jared Leto Joker is not the original Joker, but Jason Todd. Which I have never really disliked that theory. I think that would really spice up a lot of what that character does and kind of give that, like, for whatever reason, like, classic Joker is so much more whimsical in his, like, monstrosities. This guy is, like, a very shattered, very fragmented kind of feeling whenever he freaks out and kind of having that messed up psyche being the Robin of a universe turned Joker, I think that would be incredibly interesting. Would you say he's damaged, Seamus? I hate that tattoo more than anything else about this movie, Garrett. I hate that tattoo so much. And maybe that's just an exaggeration, but what a absolute blunder designing him like a Hot Topic photo shoot. I really do think if you watch it with, like, this is Jason Todd, it plays better. I was watching it this time thinking it was Jason Todd, and I was like, this is better. I want to see if you have this in your notes. When they're doing their, like, freeze frame title card introductions of all the villains, when Harley Quinn's come up, there is a... There's a sentence on screen that says something like, accomplice to the murder of Robin. Robin Okay, well, maybe Jason Todd thing doesn't work. Could be a previous Robin. They just say Robin. They don't say which Robin, per se. Batman has lost more than one Robin to the Joker. Just That is why Batfleck is so sad, is that he just keeps losing sun figures to the Joker and Harley Quinn. I forgot how much Batfleck was in this movie. It's a lot! The... I remembered him being in the Deadshot scene. I did not remember him being in the... Har- I didn't remember the Harley water thing. Oh, no, I remember that. The punch in the face. It's like, oh, Batman's not afraid to punch women. Check it out. I also think that having him in this movie makes that post-credits tease so much lamer of him having <laughs> yeah. blood with Amanda Waller. Like, yeah, it does not hit as hard where you're like, yeah, he's just, he's just been one of the characters here this whole time, pretty much. How many different ways did they set up the, the Justice League? Justice oh League. my, it's insane. Like, every other movie is like, me and my friends got it handled. And then it's like, that you don't even have it handled in the first two hours of the Justice League movie, dude. <laughs> like, it's not working out. So this movie, famously, they hired the same company that edited the trailer to edit this movie. Which is so obvious when you look at the way this film is edited. It's not edited really for continuity. It's edited for what's visually compelling, which is fine. Yeah, it's all flash. The first half of this movie is just introducing characters in not in compelling ways. Something that I really have a problem with is, you know how in trailers, probably even in the Suicide Squad trailer, I don't remember the Suicide Squad trailer, but usually the action happening syncs with the music on rhythm with each other. For the like 30 songs in this movie, (laughs) <laughs> that does not happen. Yeah, man, it's so disjointed. It's it's truly wild. I, I haven't seen this movie since 2016, but every time I saw something I recognized, I was like, oh, yeah, that's from the trailer. Oh, yeah, oh, hey, this other important thing is in the trailer. Oh, this other thing is in the trailer. They would take shots from the trailer that you would think would be edited to be a little snappier for the you know two minutes that they had, and it's just the exact same editing, yeah. like copy-pasted. It's bad, guys. It's what we do. Smashing the window for the purse or whatever. That's like the stinger of the trailer that is so weird feeling when you see it. It just is so out of nowhere. The one-liners in this are so bad. (laughs) They're so bad. The title drop 
of her being like the world changed when when Superman flew and then the world changed when he didn't and that's why I'm here and then it just cuts to Suicide Squad and I'm like what it's not a good intro to your movie there are eight needle drops in the first 17 minutes of this movie <laughs> oh my god yeah seriously it's eye-rollingly frequent and the trailer stuff does not work the like flashes of character do not work I actually do think the Flash cameo is good. I don't like Ezra Miller Flash, but I think the No Honor Among Thieves line is actually funny and works. Yeah, man, I, I thought that was interesting enough, and I don't have too many problems with Captain Boomerang. I know we were talking a little bit about that earlier, but... I think you and I were both like, the first time we saw this, we remembered Captain Boomerang being good, and in this, like, rewatching it, he's fine. But he's yeah, not. He's good. whatever. Everybody is constantly doing things and doing nothing. Like nothing matters in terms of the character or plot, and it feels like there's so much of a mishmash of everything going on that it, there should be something in there, but there's really not. They try to make you care about Rick Flag and his girlfriend or whatever, and Katana's I... there crying over her sword, and I'm like, we didn't. You didn't even get an intro. I do think that Rick Flag and Deadshot have something close to a compelling dynamic. Will Smith is doing a really good job in this movie and has chemistry with Rick Flagg, has chemistry with Harley Quinn, and that stuff is almost working. I agree that he he is carrying a lot of this movie on his acting skills, and there's a couple moments between him and Harley where I can like feel they have like this weird actual friendship and not the shoehorned friendship that uh, ultimately saves the day in the end hey i already <laughs> lost one family seamus i'm not uh, gonna lose another one god family Bizarre they do thing. nothing to earn that moment they, they really don't do that's why i'm like even if they had done more to earn it harley quinn is somebody who's like she thinks the Joker's dead. If someone magical is going to offer her some chaos evil to bring him back, she's going to take that, even if she, like, shared a blue martini with them in a shattered Midway City bar. Can I pitch you? I don't know if the second and third act of this movie are salvageable, but I do think you could edit a first act of this movie to be compelling. How, how would you do that? We open with Joker's Arkham Escape. Okay. We open in media res with his goons just ravaging Arkham. We've got all that footage for it. We're in good shape. We don't see any characters we know out in the chaos, but from the chaos, we cut to a quiet room. Harley and Quinzel bolted down, just like she is in this movie when you see it. You get the slow reveal of the Joker. You hear him talking off screen first, and then he comes in with the line, the hurt you really bad line. Sure, sure. And then cut. To black. How long has she been Harley Quinn? Who knows? Five years later. Whatever. You hit him with a okay, title sure. card. Then, probably this is where you introduce Amanda Waller, if you do want to have Amanda Waller introduced early, just to make sure that she's like, pitching the idea of bringing in metahumans, but you mm -hmm. do not have the whole trailer sequence. You just have her meeting with David Harbour and getting resistance. Also, David Harbour's in this movie. I apparently. was about to say, doing <laughs> nothing. No superpowers or fun character for him. He's just a guy. Basically, introduce Amanda Waller. I don't care. Instead of doing this trailer thing, we're going to have, you know, like a real movie, we're going to have these <laughs> plot lines kind of threading. So we go and we see Deadshot doing his assassin thing and then going to see his daughter. We cut to Rick Flagg 
and Dr. Witchy Lady. Moon. June Moon. Is that really her name? Yeah. Awful. Go on. You just have June Moon and Rick Flag. Like, he's protecting her. You don't really know what's going on, but you see them falling in love. There's a sequence of them falling in love. Okay. Cut back to Deadshot. He's getting captured by Batman. Basically, this first act would be you introduce Harley at the beginning. You do a brief introduction of Waller. Then Deadshot, Flag, and Enchantress. The four characters that you really focusing on in this first act are Harley, Deadshot, Flag, and Enchantress. Because Flag and Enchantress have an interesting dynamic that fuels the plot. Deadshot and Harley are the leads of this movie. Sure, sure. From there, we go to the boardroom scene. With Waller. Okay. This is the first time we get to learn about the Enchantress and about Waller's larger plan. Because imagine if you got to know June Moon a little bit, like actually invested in her and Flag's relationship, because the idea behind their relationship is a good one. I think it is compelling if done properly. It's very complicated and there's weird power dynamics between him being like a government agent and her being an interdimensional magic wit. So let us get invested in them as characters. And then when you bring in the really rad Enchantress grabbing her hand and flipping it, which is so cool. Honestly, one of the best moments of the actual movie, I think, is very, very slick. And that's when we meet Enchantress. That's the first time we're like, oh, she's a metahuman, which is the thing that they go with in this movie to call them. Which is, how is Harley Quinn a metahuman exactly? She's just a girl with Uh, a baseball bat. Well, I mean, is Deadshot a metahuman? If you have very good accuracy, are you a metahuman? I don't know. What about Captain Boomerang? He uses that boomerang like twice. Yeah, they're like, mostly just people there. with weapons. Killer Croc doesn't do jack until he's underwater, pretty much. Exactly. I guess he like, like rips some guys apart, but... We don't need the whole trailer montage, is basically what I'm saying. Once yeah, we get sure. to the Suicide Squad, then we can meet the Suicide Squad. That also makes it so that Slipknot doesn't stand up like a sore thumb. Yeah, Because God. he doesn't have his trailer montage. I also remember that scene where he gets killed being... So much more funny in the original. I remember the theater going wild when I saw it the first time and just being like, oh, what a surprise. They killed off one of these super important main characters. Uh Like, come on. I think letting Harley have those flashbacks is good. In my weird re-edited version of Suicide Squad, you would just bring in Harley with the rest of the inmates. Sure, yeah. You would start the movie with Harley and Quinzel, have that weird Joker opening, which is unsettling. It set an off-kilter tone for the movie. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Why did we see that? You know, we go through 15 minutes of the rest of these characters. Where's Harley Quinn? What's going on? And then we bring her in, and those flashbacks are actually doing something for us then. Those flashbacks are actually telling us stuff. That's not a bad rework of that first part, man. I mean, there's so much that went wrong in this original but that level of care to set up literally anything might have made this movie a little a little more bearable. I really do like Harley and Deadshot's relationship. I really mm-hmm. do like Flag and Enchantress's relationship if it were expanded on in any way. So that's the strongest bones that this story has and just building on those. But the third yeah, act God. of this movie and, and stuff is a mess. It's, it's like that stuff would not fix the stuff that comes later, probably. But it, it it would at least be something. What we got instead is like a weird my friends are my power climax. And Diablo is here. We've never even we haven't even talked about his boring ass yet. That guy's like, doing the, a good job. He is doing a good job. But like he's again does like nothing 
to really make me care about what's going on or to feel like he earned turning into that really cool giant Aztec fire skeleton. I think that was really well designed and intimidating, but it feels like we never really got out of any of the space that he was in when he made the oath to himself, like, I'll never use my powers again. I murdered my whole family. Like, this is weird. The scene where he has to use his powers is not a compelling enough reason to use his powers. The first I time just, or the second time? The first no, time yeah, when Smith he, is, like, yelling at him. Just, like, egging him on? Yeah. They're not in immediate <laughs> danger. At least the, the movie doesn't do enough to tell us they're in immediate danger. I felt way more like they were in immediate danger in the scene immediately preceding that scene. He does so little to make him angry, too, that he, like, blows up, and it's supposed to be, like, also a big joke. Like, I was just trying to get you there. Like, I didn't mean any of it. But as somebody viewing it, it took so very little to get him there in the first place. I don't Uh know what they were trying to make me feel like that was supposed to be a big moment or something. I know we get the monologue in the bar later, but what if Flag was the one egging him on, and Flag knew this guy killed his family? Sure, that would be better. You could tease, like, oh, like, what happened to your wife? What happened to your kids? We don't know what happened. Yeah, but... he, he could blow up like that to shut him up and be like, I don't need you bringing that up. Yeah, that yeah, that would have been so much nicer. It's there, There's a little thing feeling. this movie does not understand, which is called setup and payoff. <laughs> yeah, um, true. Oh, is that true? Because I couldn't notice for the entire two and a half hours of nonsense. There is a very good YouTube video that I'll recommend. It's by a YouTube channel called Folding Ideas, who's like a professional editor who makes videos about editing and film production stuff. Okay. And I think it's called The Art of Editing and Suicide Squad. And he just breaks down how key moments in this film make unintelligible choices that seem to be actively bucking what they're setting up. Mm. The big example is Captain Boomerang, right? He's got his unicorn. Oh my god, yeah. In the first scene that we see them get all their gear, and there is the super gratuitous Harley Quinn in her underwear. By the way, Mm -hmm. we should just talk about the fact that the way they shoot Harley Quinn in this movie is gross. The way they write Harley Quinn in this movie is gross. I hate it. Margot Robbie's doing a good job and trying to salvage what she can salvage out of that character, but... It's bad, and I hate no, it. No, it, it feels off the entire time, and, like, you want to, like, feel okay with them leaning into, like, the, you know, modern Harley Quinn. Her chaos stems from, like, a femme fatale type, like, she's a psycho, but she's also pretty, and that's how she, like, disarms people a lot of the time. It's not the, like, animated series where she's got the... I mean, they do show it, the classic Harley Quinn outfit with the weird headpiece, but it's gratuitous in a way that, you know, it just, it adds so little and takes away a lot from every time, because they, like, stop the movie to do some of the stuff that they do with her that just doesn't feel worth it at all. There are several times in the movie where they stop the movie just to, like, point the camera at Harley Quinn's butt. But in the scene where they're all gearing up, you see Captain Boomerang put the unicorn in his coat like it's a very exaggerated like he puts it in his coat on his yeah. left side of his coat later during a fight scene the unicorn falls out he gets upset about it they again make a very big deal of him putting it in the left side of his coat he's putting it back so you've got like a setup and you've got a reminder a few minutes later he gets stabbed like oh no captain boomerang if you cared about this movie <laughs> and then they cut back to him and he's okay how is he okay 
he pulls out the knife that's been stabbed into the left side of his chest. You would think the unicorn would be there, but no. It's some stack of bills that we've never seen before. <laughs> we didn't see never him looting set anything. Up ever. I they they set him up with robbing a diamond exchange like years before, and then they do nothing else except for give him all of his gear back as if giving him his gear back would be also a bunch of money that he stole that he could then uh-huh. tuck away it, it's ridiculous it's, he breaks down that specific example and a lot of other stuff so i recommend going and checking out that yeah that youtube I, video i'm sure i would agree with almost everything he'll say so I'm, i'll have to check that out I have another setup payoff thing, which I don't know if it's called out in that video or not, but Harley Quinn tells Ike Barinholtz that he's so screwed, and then we we never see him again. We spend the first 45 minutes of this movie setting up what a scumbag Ike Barinholtz is. Yeah, he never comes back. He should have been there on the mission, like, being the foil to Rick Flagg, being like, he's another soldier guy, but he's like an idiot about it, trying to wrangle these people that he's been in prison with. He could have yeah, been working well, with the Joker to get Harley Quinn out. He could have been, you know, double-crossing at the last minute. Or even at the end, having him be like, Oh, hey, Joker, I'm glad you're here breaking Harley Quinn out. Can I come with you? And then the Joker shoots him or whatever. You yeah, know, sure. Like, just he gets that. his neck blowed up or something. Literally just, oh, that would be good, actually. Like if, He takes if, her bomb, puts it in his neck, and blows him up. That'd be pretty sick. But, alas, we see him give her a phone, and then I think he's escorted away, and that's it. I've got a couple more things I want to hit. I think we're kind of wrapping up here. (laughs) I'm running out of Um, steam like me halfway through watching this movie. Oh, I looked at it. There was an hour (laughs) left, and I was like, how is there an hour left? It's so long. It's two and a half hours of vapidness. Mostly bad things, but I do have one. I do have one good thing. I forgot this was a Skybeam movie. Skybeam? The blue Skybeam from every superhero movie. The evil ring is what I, I call that. Okay, There's so always you... some kind of sky ring. Yeah, okay, you get it. It's yeah, the same yeah, thing. Yeah. It's, it's a blue beam of light, usually with some kind of debris around it being shot into the sky. The superheroes have to go blow it up or whatever. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, yeah. Enchantress is a girl villain, so of course she has to kiss people. Oh yeah, that's how she turns them into... Gra- granted, I like also the design of those weird kiss monsters. Yeah, it's just more the fact that, like, it's a lady villain, so she's gotta be yeah. kissing them. And she's gotta be, like, doing that weird writhy dance the whole time in the background, too. That's yeah, her that thing. Yeah, that is weird. The only personality that Killer Croc gets is being some kind of black stereotype. Yeah, weird how that is, huh? I don't care for that. Me neither. But my good thing is, I do like when Will Smith has the line about, this is going to be like a chapter from the Bible, and everybody's going to know what we did so my daughter can know that I saved the world or tried to save the world or whatever. I totally agree, man. I think that line, a couple other specific Will Smith ones, like he he's just doing real well in this movie. He's just a high caliber of actor, doing what he can, given the movie that he's in and i i won't i won't fault him for that for sure a good amount of the action is pretty fun i hate enchantress and her brother incubus or whatever as of wow look at you you've picked up a name that i did i was Uh, looking for and didn't find (laughs) i was watching with subtitles and i think it's in parentheses like incubus grunts and i was like oh that's what that is she just keeps calling him brother they're the most boring villains of any superhero movie i can think of and i'm rewatching. The MCU right now, there's some boring villains in there. These guys are just zero compelling, besides the fact that 
the brother in the subway turned like five people into a ball of people before he turned into a monster. I thought that was fun. I think there's definitely a lot more negative to say than positive, but I'll still give a little bit of leeway to Jared Leto Joker. For whatever reason, that croaky, moaning laugh still... I mean, it it makes me laugh, but sometimes it'll creep me out in just the right Joker kind of way, so I'm willing to give that a little bit of a pass. So, Seamus, what I'm hearing is that you completely forgive all of Jared Leto's horrific onset antics. Oh, no. Oh, no. Really? (laughs) Oh, jeez. This movie has has a better movie in it somewhere. It should be good. It's just Escape from New York, but supervillains, and that should be all I need to know, but they mangled it. That evacuation team did a really good job of getting literally (laughs) everybody out of the city, huh? Except for that army of, like, rock monsters, but, yeah, deserted. Yeah, but even then, there's not that many rock monsters, like... Yeah, they have, like, one, like, five-minute shootout with them, I think, until they, like, fall from the ceiling later. It's it's weird. You said you liked the action enough. Um, I did like not that, even enjoy there's... that. I did not like... <laughs> None of it. That one part, that one scene, um, I was like, oh, Deadshot's, you know, Deadshot's going off over here. I was here. about That's to say fun. the one shot, the one cool shot of Deadshot <laughs> standing on the police car. Yes, one cool shot does not <laughs> compelling action movie make. Seamus. No, absolutely not. It would be, I would struggle to call this, I guess it's an action movie. It doesn't feel like that much of a superhero movie at all. It feels. It's the anti superhero movie. Uh, it's villains. Screw you. Go away. It's what they do. I hate that line so much. Also, the have you ever been in love line. A lot of Harley Quinn's lines could have been good, but made me cringe so tightly in my in my Irish face. Margot Robbie is trying, man. She really she's is. She's trying. I know. She's she's a great actor, too. And I think that she she got more of the short end of the stick on that compared to, like, Will Smith. She was supposed to be, like, the real star of that movie. And they banked so much on the Joker Harley stuff that they just did not care about that much, apparently. But, yeah, it's not a good movie. There's no. very little redeeming in this movie to suffer through it. I don't even think it's that fun to hate watch because it's just kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, there's really not a ton going on there, but that gives me a lot more hope for next week's The Suicide Squad just because they have the blueprint of what not to do with a movie like that and maybe they'll actually have some fun that makes sense instead of just trying to trick an audience into thinking they have had fun watching it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited for next week. I really am. I'm excited to see the characters that were given the short end of the stick in this movie kind of be given a breath of fresh air. I know Harley Quinn has been in Bird's Prayer or whatever now, but hopefully you and I will have a lot more positive things to say. I think we will, man, especially with our thoughts here. Comparatively, it's going to be a blast, so I'm... I'm looking forward to it. Then again, I was looking forward to the original one before I saw it the first time, and I was completely crushed. So maybe expectations are the wrong way to go here. Should we do our pop culture reference, Seamus? Let's get out of here, man. We're rambling about this now. Today's pop culture reference is the needle drop. A needle drop is a pretty simple concept. It's when a film or TV series uses a piece of music that was not originally recorded for that project. The name Needle Drop refers to dropping the needle on a record, causing a song to start playing. Memorable needle drops often use well-known songs in discordant or unexpected ways. This may be using a joyful song over a scene of violence, such as the Beach Boys' Good Vibrations in Jordan Peele's Us, or an unexpected use might be something like the Pina Colada song, parentheses, Escape, in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, 
as the soundtrack to a literal galactic prison escape. They're often used to help an audience quickly recognize a place in time to the point that it even might become a cliché. Think Fortunate Son in every Vietnam movie. Perhaps the most common contemporary usage of a needle drop is to amplify the emotional state of an audience, particularly during an action sequence, like 2017's Baby Driver. However, using songs that are too on-the-nose or just over-relying on the needle drop itself, it can be jarring and take an audience out of the movie. Today's main segment was definitely an offender in this category, which we'll circle back to in a minute. Many directors employ needle drops in their films as a sort of trademark. Popular examples include Edgar Wright, Quentin Tarantino, and James Gunn. Gunn is directing next week's main segment, The Suicide Squad, which promises to continue his needle-dropping habit from his Guardians of the Galaxy films. The film is also a sort of sequel to today's main segment, Suicide Squad 2016, which was widely criticized for its frequent and haphazard use of needle drops. Some of my favorite needle drop examples come from, like you mentioned before, Edgar Wright, the jukebox playing Queen during a synchronized beatdown of a zombie in Shaun of the Dead was is classic for sure. And one of my favorite movies of all time, Danny Boyle's Train Spotting, is like needle drop central, basically. They they paid a lot of attention to the soundtrack and made sure that that was very on point. What about you, Garrett? What are your what are your favorite needle drops that you can think of? The two that come to my mind when I think about needle drops are the Alfred Molina scene in Boogie Nights, which is a literal needle drop where he's listening to <laughs> Sister Christian and Jesse's Girl. Alfred Molina is so memorable in that scene and is so into the music. I think that's part of what makes it so interesting. And then pretty much all of the movie A Knight's Tale, but specifically from that film, the opening we Will Rock You just is such a perfect tone set for the rest of that movie. We'll be sure to point out any more needle drops, like you said, coming up next week in any of the countless James Gunn movies that we'll cover, Guardians of the Galaxy eventually. It's something that once you once you start noticing it, it's hard to stop, and especially in something like your Boogie Nights example when it is literal during a period piece where you know vinyl records were the main source of personal music. It's, it's hard to miss. But yeah, let us know on social media tweet us email us what are some of your favorite needle drops in cinema history do we have really bad opinions about needle drops do you think that the don't stop me now beat down from Shaun of the dead is terrible and that shamus should make a retraction let us know what do you say let's move on to the save the rec center this week yeah let's hit it shamus now it's time to save the rec center where we give you our weekly recommendations Garrett, you got you locked and loaded? I had a couple of different movies that I watched this week that I was really taken with, but the one that I cannot get out of my head is James L. Brooks's Broadcast News. I watched it on HBO Max. That was a situation where I knew I wanted to watch a movie. I hit my shuffle on my letterbox watch list, and that was the first one. I was really blown away by it. It's Holly Hunter, William Hurt, and Albert Brooks are all different facets at this broadcast news station in Washington, D.C. It's super funny. Holly Hunter is one of the best. Oh, of course. I did not think I was a particularly big fan of James L. Brooks's directing before this film, but I was quite taken with this movie. Right on. I've, I've definitely heard of that one. What, what year was that again? 
87. I've heard a lot about that in my film studies courses for sure, and it's, it's been on my list forever, but I'm, I'm glad to know that it's on HBO, actually. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know either. I just pulled it from my watch list, I looked up where it was streaming, and I was like, oh, great. I'll definitely put that on my own watch list for sure. What about you, Seamus? What do you got? I feel like I've been doing a lot of video games uh, for my rec center every week, but I just finished Horizon Zero Dawn because we got it for the Play at Home event a couple months ago, and it was really not on the top of my list for whatever reason. It just kind of fell through the cracks for me, but finally playing it, I had a blast. The plot didn't really hook me in for a while, but the mechanics of it all were just like wholly entertaining. And by the time I realized that I was so far into it, I was already like on my way to getting the platinum and <laughs> sucked into the to the robot dinosaurs of everything and you know there's a couple twists and turns in the plot as, as you get farther in that I wasn't expecting that really made up for me being a little bit disinterested on in the front end but you know if you have a PlayStation and you downloaded it for free a couple months ago if it's just sitting in there I I would give that a, a shot for sure especially because rumors are we're getting new info on the sequel soon so if you got time to catch up just like me and I, I put my personal stamp on it. Yeah, that one's been on the top of my list for a long time, and I'm going to be insufferable right now and say that I'm waiting for a PS5 update until I play it, because... Oh, man. Oh, I actually didn't even know there was not a PS5 update yet. That's what I'm saying. I feel like every time I play a game or start a game, there's a PS5 update, like, the second I finish that game. Like, for God of War, I waited until there was a PS5 update, and I was like, okay, now I'm playing it. The rumor is that they might do it Spider-Man style... Oh, where nice. okay. when you buy the New Horizon game, you can buy a deluxe edition that has a PS5 remaster of the original Horizon. But I'm going to wait until I hear that for sure to start playing my copy I got, you know. No, for for, I think that's a, that's a good way to go about it, man. It, it looks stunning already, and it runs really well on a PS4, but a PS5, it'll be out of this world. But yeah, I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can find us on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at PCR underscore podcast. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Tweet us about how we're wrong about Suicide Squad and it's <laughs> the best movie ever. I would honestly love that, but I, it's never going to happen, so bring it on. But uh, I'm excited next week to hopefully have a positive review of a DC movie, which I don't think we've done on the <laughs> show yet. I guess we liked, um, we liked Shazam and we liked Slander Cut okay. I was going to say, if Shazam shows up in the new the Suicide Squad, it's going to be an A-plus movie already. <laughs> Shazam just gets <laughs> yeah. shredded. Just, he's like, hey guys. Hell yeah. Bomb in the neck. Boom. But yeah, uh, I'll see you next week. Adios, amigos. To viewers like you, thank you. Thank you.